Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 4th, 2020, including Xbox speaks to how Xbox Series X will improve the performance of backwards compatible titles, Konami has a new publishing arm in the West, we're getting a Goosebumps first-person survival horror game, and more. So it would be incredibly disingenuous for me to just record this week's episode of Xbox On, pretending, you know, it's just another week in Xbox news as if, you know, there's nothing else going on in the outside world. I know for some of you this might be a little obnoxious when, you know, you look at your podcast about Xbox to be like an hour of escapism for the week where you can just kind of forget about the real world and just think about video games for a minute. But uh, I mean, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, Xbox means absolutely nothing in relation to what's actually going on in the world. And and uh, right now, the events taking place this past week are just so incredibly important and so incredibly, you know, in, in your face and obviously loud and just ever present on everyone's mind that it's uh, it's really disingenuous, in my opinion, to just um, push forward and talk about Halo Infinite and Xbox Series X when we know what's going on outside our uh, outside our windows is way, way, way more important and uh, impressing than anything going on with uh, Microsoft or Xbox. So it's this is a really hard thing for me to speak to. You know, I've uh, I kind of spent this whole past weekend just glued to my phone screen on Twitter, just reading absolutely everything, consuming all of these tweets like like absolute junk food, just everything everyone had to say. Um, and you know, it's Twitter. So of course, Twitter is a, a very limited window window into a very limited mindset from a very specific group of people who are very, very loud and almost never represent the general population. So it was needless to say a lot of very extreme views and, and very, um, passionate, uh, takes. So I, I spent all weekend just kind of consuming a little bit of like what's actually happening. And then a lot of what, what the Twitter universe wanted to, uh, push onto everyone. And, um, I mean, obviously, there's there's no getting around this. You know, what happened to George Floyd was, un, without a doubt, it was murder. It was police brutality. It was, it was, uh, it was a molestation of of police power, and it was absolutely disgusting and sickening and disheartening for anyone to watch. I don't. I mean, I think there's if there's any one thing anyone can agree on, it's that you know the murder of George Floyd was absolutely. 100% unjustified. Everyone is sickened with this police officer and everybody is sickened with this this specific aspect of, of what happened. There's there's no denying that this is horrendous. This is absolutely that, that man deserves, you know, that officer deserves every bit of uh, repercussion that's coming his way with his his uh, divorce that we know about and losing his job, obviously, and, and being charged with murder and all this, like all entirely justified, you know. Um, but aside from that, Obviously, this became a much bigger story, and George Floyd became kind of the uh, the the straw that broke the camel's back in in what are now uh, these protests that are going on. And you know, to me, first and foremost, I think the protests are incredible. I support them 100. Um, percent I'm super, super happy to see, I'm super proud to see, you know, people in in this country standing up for what is right and standing up to injustice and, and speaking out about something that needs, needs to finally be addressed. There's no, there's no denying it. It's, um, 
I don't know. It's a, it's a great thing in that respect, you know, the protesting and, and in bringing the subject to light and saying, you know, enough is enough. We're in, we're not going to let this be a, let's protest for a night and make a scene about it and get a couple articles out there. Um, and then let this pass over like, like it always does to be honest. So, but of course there is the, the other side of this, which is of course the, the rioting that happened as a result of this. So it's so important to keep this in check. And this is why I preface with all the kind of nasty things about Twitter and the Twitter universe. The people out there rioting who are, you know, causing actual harm, who are harming people, harming protesters, police harming protesters, protesters harming police, uh, the the rioting, the looting, as people have been, you know, the words people have been using to describe the events. This is all very, 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 very minute. This is a super small percentage of events that are happening. This is not representative of what's been going on this past week. What's really been going on this past week is people who are really sick and tired of a country that doesn't listen to them, of a government that oppresses, of a government that doesn't represent its population, you know, staying silent and not doing anything uh, to to make this a fair and equal country for all. And so, you know, to me, I see people on the streets, I see this, this story of protesting, and, and I'm so happy to see that, you know, 99% or whatever it is, is out there you know, fighting for something that, that really, you know, something I think we can all believe in and really all get behind. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that really good and positive message gets carried away and kind of hijacked, if you will, by a few bad apples who, of course, have to make it all about uh, something a little more aggressive and something unrelated, which is, you know, the kind of more violent and uh, destructive side of this all. And obviously, that's really disgusting. And I, I, I didn't, I I tried really hard not to tweet anything this week because first of all, you know, I don't really have an audience, so I don't really think anything I say matters on Twitter. And second of all, just because there's just so much shouting and bullshit being thrown out into the ether. I really don't want to be just another person shouting some bullshit out there. I really, I really want to be careful about my words and only say stuff that I really mean that are really genuine. You know, it's one thing when we're talking about Xbox and I'm super dry and sarcastic and we're just shit talking and I'll say whatever for a cheap laugh, but when it comes to this, I, I don't really want to say anything at all unless it's very calculated and very uh, intentful because I think you really shouldn't speak about something like this unless you're intentful. And of course, you know, I can't have this situation. I don't know if you guys have seen a picture of my Xbox avatar, but I'm clearly a super white boy. And I've, of course, come from a place of privilege. And so this is obviously one of those situations where I can tell you what I think. I can tell you where I come from. And, and I'm not one of those like severe like white people don't have a voice i think absolutely everyone deserves a voice everyone's two cents is valuable and should be taken into consideration and so i do think i have you know the right as a human being to have a perspective and 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 be able to say something and how i feel about this and but also keep in mind that you know i'm not the one feeling i'm not the one at the other end of the barrel you know feeling these uh, these direct effects of the oppression, the systemic racism, and these these awful issues that have plagued our country for the entirety of its of its existence. So, just keep that in mind, of course. But uh, I, I took to Twitter finally after the the long weekend and and tried to really think long and hard about you know what I felt and I uh, yeah I said my piece and a little bit of it I regret because I think I focused too much on one side of the argument and not enough of the whole picture, but. That's up there if you want to go and find that. I don't really care to get too much into it, but or to make this whole thing way too long. You know, I'm sorry if this is, you know, you came here to listen to Xbox and now I'm just bitching about the events of this past week, but this is something that's like actually been weighing on me so much. And uh, I don't know, I've been feeling it all day at work every day this week. I've been thinking about it, you know, my free time. I've just been thinking about it. I've been, I try to stay off Twitter in general, you know, as much as I can because Twitter is an app that really just 
weighs on my uh, anxiety and depression and really exacerbates those those uh, issues of mine. But this week I've been, I mean, if I check my phone stats, my activity use, I'm sure I've been on Twitter like 500% increase week over week. But uh, it's just, it's been consuming me left and right. Um, and I've just been uh, thinking about it a lot. So obviously I think, you know, if you're out there, if you're protesting, please stay safe. I'm super, super happy. Like I said, I'm so proud uh, of, you know, my peers and my generation, these people out there in the streets fighting for something that needs to be fought. There's been some really amazing ideas and thoughts put out there. I mean, anyone who's seen, you know, the videos of Killer Mike speaking, he, uh, I thought his, uh, his speech was incredible. It was super inspiring. Um, if you've seen that clip of, of the, uh, the three black protesters who are out there, there's like the guy who was in his forties, the guy who was in his thirties, and then the young, like 16 year old boy. And that thing where like the, the 30 year old was kind of mediating and, and like trying to tell the kid like, Hey, listen, this is generation after generation. You have to, you have to find something else. Cause this isn't working. That, t- that video, I watched it twice and that video actually made me break down and cry. It was like so moving. Um, but just some really awesome, really positive messaging coming out of this. Barack Obama wrote an article that was, I think, really poignant. It was a lot of in, in line with what I was trying to say when I when I tweeted uh, on Monday and, um, of course, said a lot more eloquently. But it, I don't know. I think if you, it's really important to stay focused on what matters here. And what matters is people are out there and they're not letting up. This protesting is going night after night. And I'm so proud that that's the case because at the end of the day, this really is about not only bringing awareness to the situation, but making sure people can't forget. And if if this is happening day after day after day, um, that that makes this all the harder to ignore. And I think that's really important. Um, So I don't know, that's, that seems very jumbled, but I, I have to say something, you know, this is a Xbox on, in all honesty, in terms of like active listeners, people who actually give a shit about the show, there's probably like 12 of you out there, and I'm absolutely grateful and appreciative of every single one of you, um, but I feel a responsibility to say at least something to all 12 of you, even if that is a absolutely minuscule number that means nothing at the end of the day, but so that's, uh, that's you know, I'm sure as soon as I am done recording, I'll think of a lot of things I wish I'd said to add texture to that statement or to this little, this preamble. Um, and I'm sorry if this is going on really long. I know this is a podcast about Xbox and I promise we will get to that, but I just had to say a little bit of something about that. And this I'm going to use as a segue to kind of go into our comments this week, because our first comment, um, is from Mr. Uh, Omarketer who commented for the first time last week, you know, we, we shout him out. Um, he comes back and he says, you know, wow, man, didn't, didn't expect the shout out. I am a marketing major at Morehouse college and actually a product marketing manager intern for Xbox. So first of all, don't be surprised. I shout you out. This is a, uh, a no name podcast, but I'm, I'm greatly appreciative. If anything that, that you listen and you comment to this show, my friend, because, at the end of the day, I'm uh, I'm grateful that I have anyone supporting me talking about Xbox like a fucking idiot for hours on end. But he goes on, he says, always appreciate your show and the deep dive you provide, man. Minecraft Dungeons is cool for sure. Gamer tag, a marketer if you're trying to hop on. So anyone out there looking for a, a friend to jump on Minecraft with, hit him up. And he says, anyways, I'm sure you're aware of the social injustices surrounding our nation right now. And I'm curious what you think companies like Xbox are obligated to speak out and say. So a couple things. First of all, before we really dive into the question, uh, thank you. Like I said, thank you so much for your comments and for listening and being a part of the show. I'm really happy to have you on board. Also, shout out to Morehouse College and HBU in downtown Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta. I don't know if I've ever said, on, on, said this on the show. I, uh, I lived almost my entire life in, in Atlanta, Georgia, or just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, I should say. But I am a uh, Georgia State University alumni, so very familiar with the downtown Atlanta area. That's where I went to school as well. 
Shout out to Atlanta. I, I miss that place sometimes as much as I wanted to get away from it. Uh, that place will always be my home. So nice little connection there. Also, as as uh, as for your product marketing management internship at Xbox, congratulations. And I'm super jealous. I would probably drop this podcast in a heartbeat if I had the opportunity work, to work at Xbox. So congrats there. Um, but as for your, your question about, you know, companies like Xbox, or in my opinion, companies in general, in their obligation to speak out, this is something I'm really, really torn on. And I think the other day, you know, where they did uh, Blackout Tuesday, I think is a really great example of this, where um, I think if you if you have a really pure and just non-corrupted mindset about this, I think just in theory, the idea of, you know, businesses and individuals and just everyone with an online presence getting out there and saying, hey, guys, let's take a day to just like not talk about the day to day and not talk about our companies or our uh, podcasts or whatever it is we do in our usual usual bullshit. And let's just like take a day to really respect and draw attention to this one specific movement, this one thing that really fucking matters right now that needs all the support in the world. And I really love that in just like a conceptual idea. But, you know, I'm a very, very cynical person, you know, for better or for worse. I hate that about myself sometimes, but um, I try to be really honest with myself and real about these things. And I have a really hard time, you know, I'm the kind of person where I see every company under the sun, you know, you know, tweeting like, oh, hashtag Black Lives Matter and doing the Blackout Tuesday. And I kind of roll my eyes at first, not because I don't support the movement. I absolutely do. But because I can't help but worry that this is or see it as kind of a bandwagon. Everybody jump on board, try to be part of the conversation. And I guess what I'm saying is I see it as people aren't doing this with pure intentions. And of course, that's never my place to judge. But I, you know, I see things like Xbox, you know, making a quote. First of all, Microsoft in general made the tweet. And then every division of Microsoft, every, you know, every uh, subset of Microsoft retweeted their, their Black Lives Matter tweet and then added their own story and, and did the hashtag. So it was like a whole company-wide thing Microsoft was doing. If you if you follow any other Microsoft-related Twitter accounts, you, you would have saw that. Um, but I, I don't know. I just look at that and see at the end of the day, you know, Xbox is Microsoft. Microsoft is one of the biggest companies in the world. They are they are in the business of making money. They're not in the business of making the world a better place, despite the fact that their products and services they've created have done that. They're not in the business of truly trying to empower, make everyone the happiest person, the best person they could be. You know, there are people who work for these companies. I don't mean to make Microsoft seem corrupt and, you know, faceless. Of course, there are people at these companies who truly believe these things they say, and they're truly out there trying to help the world and grow the world and make the world a better place. And absolutely, there are people with, you know, deep burning passions who who care about the work they do. But at the end of the day, Microsoft as an entity is, you know, it's the same as Amazon. It's the same as Walmart. It's the same as anyone, you know, when you have fucking Crest toothpaste out there using the Black Lives Matter hashtag, I can't help but feel like it's a little disingenuous because, you know, at the end of the day, they're just, they're just saying this because it's the thing that you're obligated to say and they're trying to keep their market, you know, happy and, and, you know, feel marketed to and feel like catered to. And, and to me, it's less, it comes off as pandering sometimes. And I worry that, you know, it's like, well, that's not to say the people at Xbox don't, you know, believe in the Black Lives Matter movement, but it just comes off as like kind of hollow and uh, insincere when I'm just like, yeah, of course you're, of course you're supporting this movement. You have to, it's all anyone's talking about. You'd seem like a total ass, you know, if you were out here, like bragging about the Xbox series X while people are dying in the streets and all anyone else is talking about is the protests going on outside. But Microsoft's just trying to convince you to buy a new console. It's like, 
of course they can't be out there doing that on a week like this. They have to speak up. You know, they have a massive audience. They have to, they have to kind of say the thing that everyone's expecting them to say. There's this pressure. There's this expectation. And so with all that pressure and expectation, and it just comes off to me like, you know, they have to. You know, the, the mass majority of people are in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is awesome. And, you know, of course, the popular opinion is that police brutality is real and that this is something that needs to be addressed and that uh, systemic racism is real and that oppression is real and that the black community in America has suffered great injustice throughout this country's history and that this needs to be addressed. You know, despite what the world will have you think, you know, the Internet trying to make you think that everyone's a white supremacist and everyone's a racist. Um, that's simply not the case. And unfortunately, white supremacists and racists do exist. And I wish that weren't the case. But keep in mind, that's always going to, going to be a minute percentage of the populations when you when you think about the number of people who truly do believe in equality and, and support this movement, which is the silver lining. That's the bright spot, right, is that if you're not talking about politicians or Democrats versus Republicans or, you know, this person versus that person or whatever. If you're just talking about humans in in the most broad sense, humans are not just inherently full of hate. Humans all support and love one another or at the very least uh, don't give a shit about, you know, hating someone else. They just want to look after themselves and take care of their life and they're not, you know, so filled with hate towards a specific group of person people. And I guess what I mean by that is just that, you know, so what obviously Microsoft can tweet something about the black lives matter movement, knowing that 99.9% of the market is going to be like, at least like, okay, yeah, that's, that's totally reasonable. Whereas, you know, the people who are out there who truly oppose supporting a movement like this are the people you don't even want supporting your business to begin with. And, and it's just so important to keep this in check because it seems so hollow when I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed. It's like fucking Red Baron Pizza and uh, I don't know, like Sam's Club and Sharpie Markers are just like all doing Blackout Tuesday. And so it's like if you can harness that pure and innocent mentality, I love to think that everyone really cares and really wants to make a difference. But the cynic in me, the guy who the guy who knows that the world is dominated by PR and that, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's just trying to make a, a quick buck and everyone's just trying to be on the. Uh, correct side so that you continue to support them financially. I just see this as, you know, cheap and disingenuous. So I, am I saying that Xbox is full of evil people who don't support this movement? No. But am I saying that, you know, the Xbox account having this, this uh, pressure and this obligation to tweet something out or, or say something, you know, really matters. I think, I think it's obligatory and I think it's, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like it really um, makes a dent, but keep in mind, I prefaced with, I'm a cynic. I'm a piece of shit who doesn't look at this stuff and and think the best or see the best. So if if the mass majority of people see something like Xbox tweeting out about the specific subject and you know they feel like this is a good thing and they feel like Xbox cares and like and like Microsoft is really making a positive impact by saying something, then I'm super happy that they did and I'm super happy that other people feel like they did because at the end of the day I definitely want everyone to feel like uh like their perspective matters and that, you know, I, I definitely want people who support this movement to feel like they're heard and cared for and, and supported. So it's it's a tricky situation, but I don't inherently have any issue with anyone, you know, tweeting these things out. But it just seems that's why, you know, the other day I didn't tweet anything like with uh, the hashtag. I intentionally avoided the hashtag because I didn't want to come off as disingenuous. That's the last thing I want to do. You know, I'd rather I'd honestly rather offend someone 
then come off as disingenuous. I just want you to feel like whatever I had to say, whether you like it or not, it came from the heart and I meant it. Because at the end of the day, I think the most important things a person can do is be is be genuine and have good intentions. And, you know, I, I'm stupid. I'm ignorant. I'm full of wrong answers. But I uh, I try to mean well. So that's that's what means the most to me is that I myself and that others are trying to be well-intended and trying to be uh, thoughtful and genuine because there's a lot of dis- <laughs> there's a, there's many 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 disingenuous people and uh, that's uh, that's that's another thing that's really important to me that needs to be addressed. So now that we're an hour into the podcast and we're still not talking about Xbox, I appreciate you guys. If anyone even is still listening, if you if you haven't already turned off and unsubscribed and uh, and written me off, but. Um, now we will jump into the rest of the comments and the rest of the show. And uh, Omarketer, I appreciate your uh, your question. Sorry to kind of use it as like a, a, a jumping off point for my whole rant, but I do appreciate you writing in the non- nonetheless. And uh, hope to look. I look forward to more interaction with you in the future. Um, before we jump into more comments, though, I do have a correction about last week's show. I did misspeak. So when we were going over the MPD numbers, I was I was talking about you know Mario Kart 8 and uh, Animal Crossing, um, New Horizon, and just how Nintendo is constantly dominating in the MPD charts. And I gotta give Lethal Migraine a little bit of a shout out here because he was the one who said who brought it to my attention that the NPD does not provide or that he he wasn't. For, certain that the MPD provides digital sales that was just physical retail sales to which I knew that wasn't the case because I remember about three or four years ago the MPD started tracking digital sales so that's what I told Lethal Migraine but actually he was half right and I was half right because what what actually is the case is that Nintendo still does not provide digital sales numbers to to MPD so um so when you see those MPD numbers anything for Xbox and PC and, and PlayStation, that is digital and physical sales, whereas the Nintendo games, that's just physical sales, apparently. So with that in mind, that means that uh, Animal Crossing New Horizon, which was the number three best-selling game for the month of, of, uh, of April, is actually almost definitely the number one because we knew that 50% of its sales were digital and it hit number three on physical sales alone. So Pretty confident to say Animal Crossing New, uh, New Horizons was definitely the number one best-selling game for the month of April, um, which means also that Mario Kart 8, which charted on the top 20, has done even better than we thought because we were only counting the, the physical sales of that game. So uh, it, it seems like Nintendo is going to rule, rule the world pretty soon here. Um, but yeah, so our next comment here comes from Mr. David White, uh, who says, My wife is leaving me, sad face. So I responded to him, concerned about his heart and where and how that affected him. And I said, she sounds hot. And Lethal Migraine jumps in and he says to David White, uh, does does she have money too? I have an OLED TV to buy uh, that I need to use with my Xbox Series X. And if she could help me out, that would be cool. So David White, if you are the jealous type, just know that Lethal Migraine is uh, potentially eyeing your ex or your soon-to-be ex-wife. So sorry about that. Uh, speak, sticking with Lethal Migraine, he says, I used my government cash to build a PC. I don't like gaming on PC, but making people mad is fun. So I got an RTX 2070, Super Black, and made sure my PC nerd friends know I only play Thomas Was Alone. Uh, I told him that uh, if he really wanted to take full advantage of that PC, he should try out RuneScape on Mac settings. So Lethal Migraine uh, trying to troll the world with his RTX 2070, only playing Thomas Was Alone. I do appreciate that point there where you said, I don't like 
uh, gaming on PC because that means you are not a PC nerd. You are indeed an Xbox purist, which means that uh, your blood has not been tainted and we can keep you. Um, we will not have to sacrifice you on this podcast uh, for betraying the Xbox Brotherhood. Our next comment here is a uh, new, new commenter alert. We've got Limbert Bonds who says, keep up the good work. Eat all the pizza in the world. Well, thank you, Limbert. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. And uh, I will absolutely uh, make it my mission to eat all the pizza in the world. It's really the only thing I feel confident in is that I was put on this earth to consume a lot of pizza and, and pasta as well. Um, but I, I do appreciate your support. Uh, update on that on that story from last week about pizza at work. That pizza is still in the fridge. And today at work, I thought, I wonder, do I dare try to eat a slice of week old pizza? So I pulled out a piece. It was pretty much just a brick at this point. It was so old and, and uh, disgusting. Popped her in the popped a slice in the microwave for a minute. It was uh, it was good enough to eat the main portion. The crust was too hard, but um, I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty sure I took like seven years off my life today by eating that slice of pizza. But I don't regret it. It was uh, it was good enough. I was hungry. I was at work. It was pizza. So. Welcome aboard, Limbert. Hope to see uh, more of you soon. Speaking of uh, newer commenters, Sarugi1 comes back uh, for the second or third time. The new comment, he says, Since COVID has taken effect, Nintendo Switch consoles here in Oz have been constantly sold out with a month or more wait on the next shipments. So it's no wonder seeing six-year-old games like Mario Kart still hanging on to best-selling lists as more people jump or frustrated parents push their kids into gaming. So that's a good point as well. You know, Nintendo Switch is still selling a crack. Mario Kart is one of those games where it's just like, you have a Nintendo system and you have to have a Mario Kart or a Smash Brothers to go along with it it's just kind of like that default party game you just have lying around so that makes sense Mario Kart actually despite you know what a lot of gamers might think Mario Kart actually sells better than Smash always pretty much so that's no surprise that in that regard that Mario Kart's still selling really well and um, that's a good point there I know Nintendo Switches here in the in the states have also been selling out like crazy since COVID uh, has really ha- gone into full swing. So I'm sure that's happened in all over the world where there are been there have been severe uh, supply constraints on the uh, Switch. When people finally get their hands on one, they're probably buying games like Animal Crossing and Mario Kart because those are really casual general audience games that just kind of appeal to everyone. Uh, and also, Surugi, we now know, as you have revealed in this comment, that you're an Australian. Welcome aboard. It's uh, really crazy to think that I have international listeners listening in on the show. That kind of blows my mind that someone from a different part of the world is, is listening to me sit here in my boxers talk about my opinions on Xbox. So thank you, Surugi. And uh, again, as always, hope to hear more from you in the future. And then, if, then my brother here comes in and he says, Blizzard is probably grateful for the opportunity to delay BlizzCon. They have been getting torn to shreds by their fan base since the uh, mobile Diablo game was announced. And this gives them more time to rest before having to face the mouth breathers again. Also, they'll be able to show off Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 if they wait. So I think this is a really good point, actually. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show last week or if I meant to and then didn't, which is it was probably the latter, not the former. But um, yeah, I agree. They could totally pull off like a Fallout 4 announcement release cycle type deal where they're like, uh, hey, here's Diablo 4 in the flesh and it's coming out later this year if they uh, do BlizzCon in the spring. So so hopefully this is all good for Blizzard. Plus, I think the more time they have as an excuse to lay low, the better, because Blizzard has been getting a lot of shit lately. I know actually just this past week they got a lot of shit, for, unfortunately, for their for their tweet in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, they got a lot of shit because um, that whole controversy with them um, censoring in in China because of that uh, 
CD Chinese money they've been getting. So people call him out a little bit for some hypocrisy, but I don't really want to get into that. That's not entirely relevant to this week's news, and I don't want to just talk about negative stuff just for the sake of being negative. I, I want to keep the show... Uh, despite you know, despite my obsessive cursing and my sarcasm, I actually like to keep this show as positive and lighthearted as possible. Um, the intent of this show is to inform, entertain, make you laugh, and uh, hopefully not make your ears bleed with my stupidity. So, good point on uh, Blizzard there. And then our final comment for the week, trying to end on a positive note, just trying to end on something uplifting as we all feel uh, fall into despair this week. Dead Captain James says, My hype for Grounded is probably the highest of all people on the planet. I absolutely loved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids when I was growing up. I watched it so much every day for years that my VHS tape eventually died. The game looks like it's going to transport me back to my childhood. So I actually really appreciate this comment. Um, I just... I don't know, it's really nice to see someone just, like, I don't know, Dead Captain James has commented multiple times on this game, and his excitement for it has gotten me excited for the game itself, and I just love, I, I don't know, I can feel that energy. I love when uh, there's an unexpected game that just kind of gives you that random hype, especially when it's a game like Grounded where you know that, like, there's just a random connection you're making with this game that's probably not going to be too popular, but it's uh, it doesn't matter because it's just a thing you can enjoy. I had a very similar experience a few years ago when Ubisoft released the game, um, um, Starlink Battle for Atlas. It was just one of those games where it, it was like shortly after the fall of Disney Infinity, which was a game I loved so much. And so it kind of scratched that itch a little bit, but I really loved the whole like, it was a very like ages 12 to 14 kind of lighthearted Toon Disney, Disney XD kind of looking game and uh, with a simple enough story, but it was spacey and sci-fi and I loved the um, art style of it. Just everything about that game just really spoke to me. And when it finally came out, I played the hell out of it. And I really, really loved that game, despite the fact that it only did okay critically. And it did it did horribly commercially. And it was really quickly forgotten. But it was a game I really connected with and really um, just loved deeply. Because for whatever reason, something about that game just really resonated with me and reminded me of you know, the kinds of games I would have been really into if I were still 12 years old. So I totally understand that kind of excitement where just a game seems reminiscent, whether it's something more concrete like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, or if it's something more abstract like just a, a time and place and a feeling that you had when you were a kid. And it's really exciting when games come out of nowhere and give you that feeling. So I totally understand and, and, and excited on your behalf and also excited myself to give Grounded a try. Hopefully I'll, I'll enjoy it as well. Um, but yeah, those are always the most... The most exciting games, I, I I find, more so than like the AAA, you know, big budget game of the year games. It's it's those games that that catch you off guard, and that you know, regardless of what the rest of the world thinks about it, or if it's gonna do well critically or commercially, if it's it's just a game that you resonate with, and that just uh, feels almost as if it was created just for you and, and marketed directly to you. So that's a really exciting feeling. Um, so that's it for this week's comments and shoutouts. And as a reminder, guys. Don't be shy. Reply. Now we're going to get into what I've been playing this week. But before we can get into that, I got to tell you all about what I've been eating. So first of all, a little experience I had right before recording tonight. A little confession, if you will. Stale, stale cheese puffs. I don't care if it's name brand like Cheetos or if it's off brand, whatever. Stale cheese puffs are just a... they're good. I know it's a disgusting thing to say. My girlfriend told me I was repulsive when I told her that, but I think stale cheese puffs are, uh, that's, that's my trailer trash take of the week is that you got some cheese puffs that have been sitting in your pantry a little too long. They're still good. I don't know what it is about them. It's, it's one of those rare foods where it's like, it gets stale, but it's still kind of good in a weird way. Uh, aside from that, I, for the second time in my life this week, I in, engaged in, uh, uh, one of those delivery service restaurant apps, whatever. Uh, I use DoorDash. I gotta be honest, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates, whatever one you're using, these are uh, these are services for the elite. Let's be honest. I, I ordered 
like a $12 appetizer from Chili's. And I never do this, but I was like, okay, I got a free, um, free or waived delivery fee. So there's no delivery fee. I'm just paying, you know, item taxes, tip, whatever. So, okay, whatever. We'll do it. We'll give it a try. I hate DoorDash. I hate these services because they're so appealing. They're so exciting in concept. But why the fuck does it cost like twice as much for the for the food when you get DoorDash? Like, I understand you're going to pay a premium. It's like it's not going to be, you know, you order $10 at McDonald's through DoorDash. You pay 10 bucks. But it's like you order $10 at McDonald's. You pay 20 bucks. You pay twice the price. It's like, shit, might as well just drive down the road and go get McDonald's. But yeah, I had some DoorDash delivered to my work this week. Um. I thought it was going to be cool. I thought people were going to think I was cool for it. I thought I was going to get a pat on the back. I thought there might be, you know, an award ceremony for me perhaps. But I uh, all I ended up with was uh, $18 in debt and um, a half-cold uh, appetizer from Chili's. So very disappointing. You know, it's just uh, it's just one of those services. It's like if you've got money burning a hole in your wallet, if I had like stupid fuck you money, don't get me wrong, I'd be... DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates, Postmating all, all the time, all over the place. I'd be Postmating in places that you've never even heard of, you know, because I would be so into that. You know, it's such a great service and concept, but fuck, you know, the whole point of fast food or like takeout is that, you know, it's cheap, fast and effective. But man, it's uh, it's very pricey when you when you go through these services. So let me know your experiences with DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats and the like. Let me know if you've had positive, negative experiences with it, with uh, with this service. This is a um, very heated um, topic to me. You know, I internally I, I go back and forth. Do I want to use that service again? Was it worth it? Uh, and it's it's hard to say because when when you're there eating the food it seems worth it when you're uh, when you're sitting there later thinking about what you paid for said food when you're sitting on the toilet watching it all go bye bye you got you got to wonder yourself was it worth it so uh, let's let's jump into what I've been playing this week I'm sure you you're not really listening to this podcast to let, hear me talk about video games but if you must um, Far Cry New Dawn so there hear me out before you before you gasp. Far Cry New Dawn, it was, um, so there was a, there was a Ubisoft sale this past week and all the Far Cry games were on sale. The only two Far Cry games that, well, I've never played one and two, but I don't really give a shit about that. To me, I'm one of those people who's like, Far Cry really starts at Far Cry 3. I've played every Far Cry game except New Dawn and Primal. Uh, I played 3, I played Blood Dragon, I played 4, I played 5. So I was going to play Primal. I know Dead Captain James and my brother and a bunch of you out there think, that Primal is one of the best Far Cry games. I don't doubt it, but I was going to play it, but Primal was like a few dollars more, or no, it wasn't actually. I think it was like a dollar cheaper. Oh, I, that's what it was. I looked it up on howlongtobeat.com, a website I use quite frequently, and it said Far Cry Primal was like two or three hours longer than New Dawn. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go for the shorter one because I'm going to see if I can knock this out as like a weekend game, like a Friday through Sunday kind of weekend experience. So I went with the shorter one just to make it an easier challenge. And I got to be honest. So this is a whole whirlwind of emotions. Far Cry 5. Far Cry is a series I love greatly. Far Cry 4 is my favorite. And I think that's only because it was the first one I played. I know most people prefer 3, but I think that's because it's one of those games where it's like whichever one you played first is the one you like the most. But I, I absolutely adore Far Cry 4. It's one of my favorite games of the generation. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I've beaten it multiple times. I love the DLC. I love it's one of the very, very, very rare instances where there's an open world game where I actually want to continue playing after I beat the game. I just it, it, it there's a very special like alignment where like Far Cry 4 which takes place in like the Himalayan mountains and like this kind of Tibetan like Nepal region and it kind of lined up perfectly with around the time where I was finally old enough to start 
making my adult road trips down to Disney World before I moved here to Orlando as an adult. Um, so there's this, this kind of special feeling of like my connection of like getting to finally go to Disney World and experience Disney's Animal Kingdom, which has a lot of, you know, there's a whole section of that park that has a lot of that Far Cry 4 vibe with like the uh, Tibetan kind of Napoleon like uh, Asian uh, aesthetic and so I always kind of associated my my experiences with like getting to enjoy Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park with Far Cry 4 and kind of paired the two and it's really just made me super appreciate the game I don't even know why I'm telling you that I just I have a really great like respect and nostalgia and uh, love for Far Cry 4 aside from that it just has one of the most interesting stories in a video game period and you really had to I could go on I could make a whole podcast episode about specifically the story of that game and why it's so special, but I, I won't. Far Cry 4 is absolutely excellent. I thought 3, when I went back and played it retroactively, I thought 3 was phenomenal. I totally see why people like it. Voss is an incredible character. The game is super fun. It's such a great game. Far Cry 5 really disappointed me. Um, I wanted to love it. I loved the idea of it being like a cult uh, in the middle of America, uh, this religious cult. I loved, you know, the Hope County, Montana setting. I thought it was going to be such a great game. Um, but dude, Far Cry 5 let me down so much. I feel like the villain was underused. Uh, the story is just kind of, it doesn't really fulfill its potential. It's it's uh, it's a little light on like really pushing the narrative forward. The villain's not present enough, which is a staple of the franchise. I've, and I really hated the whole like, um, you have to finish these three sections of the map to get to the end of the game where it was like down to the point where you have to do every single little side mission and ancillary little bullshit task in the game in order to really make progress. I found it really, uh, I don't know. I just felt it like really tedious and, and kind of uninspired from a design standpoint compared to previous Far Cry games. And I was very disappointed with it at the end of the day. You know, I beat the game. I thought it was fine. It was fun enough. It was more Far Cry in the sense that I liked running around and capturing outposts and, and shooting things. But it was a. Uh, it was the first time I was disappointed by Far Cry, so I was expecting New Dawn to be kind of similar. But actually, New Dawn surprised me because I thought it was so much better than Far Cry Five. So I started playing New Dawn, and instantly I was like, "Wow, this is like everything Far Cry Five should have been." And the game definitely takes some, you know, experiments a little bit with the formula. It tries to add some crafting elements. It makes it a little more RPG-like. There's like some light leveling systems and XP stuff. It's it definitely fucks with the formula a little bit, but I think it does it well, and I really enjoy all of that. Um, at least in the beginning and middle half of the game. I thought the story is more interesting. The villains in New, in New Dawn, the two girls, the sisters, they're a little similar to Far Cry 5. It's like they're a little uninteresting and underserved. And, you know, it's just like they don't really give you a good enough reason for their motive and everything and whatever. But I, I don't really care about any of that because I knew it was a spinoff game. I just wanted to enjoy fun Far Cry gameplay. And the game really delivers on it. And then I got all the way to the end of the game, and my opinion changed completely, 100%. Total 180 on my on my thoughts here because you get to the last boss and it does like one of those mobile game things where it's like hard stop. Now you have to go back to the beginning of the game, start finding a bunch of resources, uh, recapturing outposts, doing all these side content bullshit things and just start gaining points so that you can level up your weapons, unlock newer weapons, craft better weapons. Otherwise, you basically just can't be the last boss. It's like they're total bullet sponges and you'll just shoot at them forever and it won't they won't take any damage and then you'll just run out of ammunition and, and, and health packs and everything and the game just turns to complete bullshit. So 
it, I had one of those really tough moments where I was like, am I going to grind through this or am I going to give up on the game? And so I looked further into like my options. Well, how long is it going to take me to grind through this? Turns out they make it super hard to grind through it. In fact, they make it so hard to grind through it that they suggest that you just buy currency, like use real world money to buy in-game currency to unlock the weapons faster. I'm like, what the fuck am I playing this like full $40 retail game for if they're just trying to nickel and dime me like a fucking iPhone game? So I was so turned off by that and so frustrated with it that I was like, this is one of those moments where I have to, you know, vote with my time and, and out of respect for myself, say, hey, I had fun with the first 10 hours of this game, but this ending is bullshit. This is disrespectful to the player, their money, their time, and everything. I'm not going to finish this game. So I made the decision to just turn off the game, and I'm not going to play Far Cry New Dawn anymore. I'm at the very end of it. I'm not going to see it through the end. I refuse to even watch videos of how it ends on YouTube because I don't even want the satisfaction of knowing how it ends because I don't even want to respect the people who made this game. I, I want to like take a stand and be like, no, fuck you. Fuck this game. I don't appreciate just disrespecting my time and my money um, as a player, letting me get all the way to the end of the game and then introducing the fact that that the the crafting and the resource finding is so crucial to the point where you need to like spend just as much time of the game crafting and finding resources as you do actually playing the main game. And that's just complete bullshit. And I refuse to spend real money on the game, even though it would only be a few dollars to be able to buy um, the necessary weapons to take down the last boss. I absolutely refuse to support that. And I'm just uh, putting my money where my mouth is and I'm and I'm walking away from it. So really disappointed in all that because I had so much fun with it up until that point. Um, but I'm just going to consider that one checked off, you know, from now on. That's uh, no more Far Cry New Dawn. Uh, I'll come back when there's a six. I still intend on playing Far Cry Primal at some point. But for now, I'm a little, I'm a little salty about Far Cry for the time being. All right. Then I played a little more Minecraft Dungeons. My girlfriend and I are just slowly kind of working through that game together. It's a kind of the perfect game to play with your significant other. So highly, highly, highly recommend that game. If, if you got a friend or a significant other that likes to play games with you, perfect little couch co-op um, relaxation games. Such a great, fun little game, and I'm um, really pleased with that. I wish I wish it was getting a little more uh, respect, a little, a little bit of a higher Metacritic score, but unfortunately, you know, People are uh, going to criticize it for whatever reason they're criticizing it for. That doesn't take away my enjoyment of the game, so who cares? Then finally, perhaps the most interesting game I'm playing this week, I finally decided, you know, I loved I loved uh, Control. I loved, I loved uh, going through that game, and I'm still really embarrassed that I've never played Alan Wake. It's on Game Pass now. Time to rewrite a wrong. So I started Alan Wake. I'm only about an hour and a half in. Um... Like I said, my mind's just not really been there this week, so I just kind of haven't been too into it, um, but uh, I'm excited to get back into it. It's one of those games where like, you play and you immediately go like, wow, I didn't realize how next-gen looking games looked right now until I went back and played this game, because I remember in 2010 when Alan Wake came out, I thought the game looked incredible visually, and now I'm playing it, and I'm like, this game looks rough. These characters look kind of creepy looking, these character models, and... Uh, but yeah, I'm, ex I'm I'm really intrigued by the world as it's setting up, and I uh, want to find out more about it. Um, it's not exactly what I always pictured the game would be, so I'm excited to see you know what in reality this game's all about. So more to report on that hopefully next week. But that's all what I've been playing, and now we are 45 minutes into the show. At this point, if you're wondering why we went through so much of the show and I haven't talked about the news yet, it's because this week was a very slow news week. So now we will blast through our tiny bit of news and uh, wrap up this week's podcast. <laughs> 
Our first news story this week comes from Windows Central, and it is that Jason Ronald, partner director of program management for Xbox, uh, discussed this week the innovations uh, that the company is bringing to backwards compatible games for Xbox Series X. Thousands of backward compatible titles will feature increases increases in resolution and double the frame rates. So the company said that the following they said the following in a press release to Windows that Windows Central received, and that Microsoft has spent a lot of time testing. 360 and OG Xbox games on the Series X. They said, quote, with more than 100,000 hours of playtesting already completed, thousands of games are already playable on the Series X today, from the biggest blockbusters to cult classics and fan favorites. Many of us at Team Xbox play the Series X daily as our primary console switching between generations is seamless. By the time we launch this holiday, the team will have spent over 200,000 hours ensuring that your game library is ready for you to jump in immediately. Now, on the subject of HDR, they continue talking about how 360 games and original Xbox games will get HDR support through a new reconstruction technique. So this is really interesting. They say backwards compatibility, compatible games will run natively on Series X hardware, running with the full power of CPU, GPU, and SSD. No boost mode, no downclocking. The full power of the Xbox Series X for each and every backwards compatible game. This means that all titles run at peak performance and that they were originally designed for. Many titles even higher performance than the games we saw on the original launch platform, resulting in higher and more steady frame rates and rendering at the maximum resolution and visual quality. Backwards compatible titles also see significant reductions in in-game load times from the massive leap in performance from our custom NVMe SSD, which powers the Xbox Velocity architecture. In partnership with the Xbox Advanced Technology Group, the Series X delivers a new innovative HDR reconstruction technique, which enables the platform to automatically add HDR support to games. As this technique is handled by the platform itself, it allows us to enable HDR with zero impact on the game's performance, and we can also apply it to 360 and OG Xbox titles developed almost 20 years ago. So on the subject, so I guess we should go through these one by one. That's amazing that they're going to be able to add HDR support to some extent retroactively without really affecting the performance of the game itself or having to really impact the game itself. So hypothetically, they'll be able to take a game from the OG Xbox or the 360 and make it have HDR support and potentially run at like double the frames. Um, So this is fucking amazing what they're able to do. And to me, all this says is that you know, a game like Sonic Unleashed, which still looks beautiful to this day, but had some frame rate issues towards the latter half of the game, could potentially perform, you know, the best it ever has. And uh, that would mean the absolute world to me. So the Xbox Series X is making many dreams come true, ones that aren't even related to the uh, the realm of Halo Infinite. And then they talk about Quick Resume here, which says... Um, Quick Resume will also be available for backwards compatibility, uh, and you can launch games exactly where you left off using the SSD technology. Uh, The Quick Resume feature was designed not only to work with new games, but also with backwards compatibility titles across multiple titles, ensuring that gamers can jump right back into the fun in any instant. All these uh, advances happen at a platform level and requires no additional work from any title developers. So we already saw this happening with that SSD demo they did a few months ago, where they were jumping in from like a 360 game to an Xbox One game, and they were kind of like doing some spend points from multiple games at once so we already knew this was a possibility but what's important to note here and with all this really is that they can xbox has been able to make these adjustments and enhancements without 
the developers needing to do anything. So this is really important because this way, when you play a game, it won't be one of those things where it's like, oh, this would run better on the Xbox Series X if the developers, you know, flipped a switch or or uh, gave the green light or went in and added this patch or something like that. It's really incredible to think that basically Xbox has already done all the, the heavy lifting with all these, these technologies they've implemented so that regardless, you know, you could play a game developed by a company that's not even in existence anymore and it's still going to look and run better on the Series X because the hardware itself is just optimized to take advantage of these things. And then our last one here is that the resolution and frame rate, um, the way the Series X is able to take advantage of that. The quote says, techniques such as the Huchi method, I don't know what that says, uh, which enables titles to render at increased resolutions up to 4K or applying or applying anisotropic filtering to improve the final image quality, bring these classic games up to modern standards better than ever before. The compatibility team has invented brand new techniques that enable even more titles to run at high resolutions with uh, higher image quality uh, while still respecting the artist's intent and the vision of the original creations. We are also creating whole new classics. Uh, we are also creating whole new classes of innovations, including the ability to double the frame rate of select titles from 30 to 60 FPS or from 60 to 120 FPS. That is super exciting, especially that 30 to 60 FPS because uh, Sonic Unleashed. <clears throat> so this is all really important as we see Sony kind of talking about, you know, and it's unfortunate this week we were supposed to see that whole PlayStation 5 game reveal from Sony. Um, understandably, it got pushed back. Um, but I plan on talking more about that whenever it finally happens. Um, but it's interesting to see, you know, PlayStation's here talking about how they don't really know how backwards compatibility support is going to be on PS5, uh, what kinds of generations will be supported, how many games will be supported. It's just this whole kind of up in the air, not too confident kind of approach. Whereas on the other side, we've got Xbox here who's just like, yeah, we've got backwards compatibility for everything you can imagine. Plus, the games look and run better, and we're making that all happen. So developers don't have to do anything. No one has to patch anything. Every game you play no matter what is just going to be better on series x and that's super fucking exciting and i think this people lose sight of how much this matters because you know at the beginning of the xbox one generation um it was more of a traditional generation where it's like okay time to put a bow on the 360 and move on to the xbox one but we're not seeing that so much be the case this time around where we have more of a fluid ecosystem in the console space more akin to what the pc space has had for years and years which is that you know, when the Series X comes out, people are going to buy and play it, but they're going to play a lot of games that are from previous generation, meaning, you know, games like your games as a service, your Destinies, your Fortnites, your Apex Legends, these are games people are still going to be playing on the Series X. So they need these, you know, brought into the uh, the future, brought into the new generation, and, and to take advantage of, these, uh, of this new console's performance. And so it's really important to see um, that the console itself can make games look and run better without any additional help, because not every game's going to get the updated version or the patches to make the game optimized for the Series X. So just knowing that, you know, even at the bare minimum, you're going to get some visual and performance bumps um, without the input of anyone else. It's just super exciting because we live in a world where more than ever console gamers are having this fluid experience of playing through generations. It's not just, you know, oh, I sold my Xbox 360 to GameStop to buy an Xbox One. I don't play 360 anymore. Or I sold my Xbox One, you know, to get my Xbox Series X. Now it's, I can play everything. You know, I can play everything from from uh, I can play everything from Ninja Gaiden on the Xbox original to to uh, Two Human on the Xbox 360, uh, <laughs> you know, to Rise Son of Rome on the Xbox One, uh, to Halo Infinite on the Xbox Series X. So you're just gonna have like this crazy library of games just spanning 
decades now um, and just have it all accessible at your fingertips. And it's all going to look and run better than ever before. And that's really enticing in a world where gamers are going back and playing older games more than ever before. And, and uh, games that came out this generation are going to be moving over to the next generation. So this, uh, this backwards compatibility in this library matters more than ever, especially as our digital libraries continue to build and people continue to buy their games, you know, in the, on digital storefronts, meaning that their gamer profiles are tied to all their purchases or rather the other way around their game purchases are tied to their gamer profiles. So just to have access to all this money and all this time you've invested on these games on this platform and just have it all in one place, uh, running and looking the best it can be. Um, it's just really exciting. And I think that's, to me, that's really the true beauty of the Series X is, is it is the next Xbox. It is bigger, it is more powerful than ever before. But I think this fluidity in the Xbox brand is really the big next generation selling feature to me. I've talked before about how, you know, of course, you know, newer, prettier games matter to me. But at the end of the day, all I give a shit about are the games. And this is a console that's all about making sure the games are accessible all in one place and that they look and run better than ever before, which is just such a huge improvement over uh, our traditional perspective of console generations where it's more about you know one generation stop next generation stop next generation and sony themselves has said that the ps5 is going to be more of a traditional generation like that where it's you know uh, put a bow on the ps4 and uh, move on to the ps5 even though ps5 we know will have backwards compatibility to some extent which we're still waiting to hear more about but Super exciting stuff uh, just for those who are longtime Xbox gamers and look forward to continuing to play all generations of Xbox forwards and backwards compatibility uh, alike. Uh, our next story here is that CD Projekt Red has confirmed that the Witcher franchise has crossed the 50 million copies sold mark. While this may not sound like too astonishing of a number, considering that the franchise is comprised of three games across over a decade, uh, what makes this stat extraordinary is that over 28 million copies sold have been solely from 2015's The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. The game has seen multiple re-releases since its original run, of course, including last year's version on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, but paired with Net the Netflix series that launched back in December, game sales have now jumped a staggering 554% year over year. So this is just an incredible feat for CD Projekt Red, especially when you consider that before 2015, when when Witcher 3 came out, this was kind of a no-name developer to most gamers. You know, the Witcher games one and two were very niche, like nerdy games that you know they did respectably, but they had their markets and they survived off their more niche community. But then the Witcher 3 came out and kind of blew up and did its thing. And now we've just seen this go from like a respectable, smaller kind of niche franchise to just one of the biggest gaming franchises out there today. Uh, 50 million copies <laughs> between all three games is really impressive, but 28 million copies on Witcher 3 alone is just fucking mind-blowing. And the Netflix series, you know, I haven't watched it, but people say it's pretty decent. Um, and it's, it's definitely been doing very well. A lot of people have been watching it, people who don't normally play video games have been watching it so it's kind of attracting that more general audiences game of throne type you know consumer um so it's just really crazy to watch this this brand expand and and go nuts and uh i i'm blown away by it and hopefully this spells nothing but good news for cd project rise they go into the future and we get the release of, of cyberpunk 2077 in a few months hopefully that will be another uh super successful game that's super awesome and sells incredibly well uh, but just shout out to CD Projekt Red. It's really cool to see uh, more European developers kind of get more spotlight. We're really used to, obviously, the big developers being predominantly like Southern California-based American studios for the most part. 
couple of Japanese studios, you know, that's that's about it. But it's it's just been really exciting to see the European teams just get a lot more spotlight in recent years. And uh, I while I haven't played Witcher 3 Wild Hunt because it just doesn't seem like my kind of game, I know that pretty much everyone who lays their hands on it thinks it's the shit. So uh, just really awesome to Witcher fans and to CD Projekt Red and to everyone all around that this franchise has been doing so well. And uh, hopefully we'll see more great stuff from CD Projekt Red. I am very, very, very excited to finally give that developer a try when Cyberpunk comes out because while Witcher 3 is certainly not my type of game, Cyberpunk is absolutely my type of game. I'm super excited to give it a try. And then our final big story of the week comes from IGN, uh, or, or penultimate story, I should say, it comes from IGN, and is that long-standing publisher Konami have announced a new third-party publishing division in the West, and they've already and they've already published their first game titled Skell Attack, which is available now. From IGN, in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz, Konami's senior brand and business development manager Richard Jones discussed how this new initiative will focus on external studios that will build games des- designated to success in the Western market to succeed in the Western markets. Uh, he says, "Quote: The drive is towards publishing more titles from Western studios, so the focus for our European teams is domestic audiences. Obviously, everyone knows Konami. We've had studios. Uh, we've had." We've had studios and teams in Japan, and we've had we have many well-known, well-loved IPs. They're all being managed and looked after by our studios in Japan. And what we're looking for is complementary titles to build up portfolio with things that perhaps are new to Konami, Western titles for Western audiences. Even though Konami hasn't been focusing on some of its more beloved franchises like MG, Metal Gear Solid or Contra or Castlevania, um, its mobile game Pez Online mode ha- and its esports division have led to uh, consecutive years of profit growth, uh, which is staggering considering most gamers don't even associate uh, Konami with like a video game brand anymore because they just don't do shit anymore. Uh, but these new games, however, will find their way on PC and consoles. Skell Attack, while not a huge AAA game, is only one part of their ni- the initiative um, that will also help um, make much larger projects. So Jones continues by saying, I guess the reason we're talking about smaller titles is because the first uh, we announced, uh, the first one we announced is Skell Attack, which is obviously an indie game. Uh, I think the I think one of the reasons that we're looking for those types of smaller teams is that there's just so much creativity out there with those guys, the indie devs, you know, uh, teams working on small but ambitious titles. Those guys are the ones daring to innovate and i think that's something very exciting skull attackers has players taking the role of a villain who has to defeat their land uh, from the invading human threat and it's available on consoles and pc right now so you can get it on xbox one the developer is uh yakuza who's um uh, is one of many that jones is hoping to build long-term relationships with uh he says we're hoping to we're hoping for the long haul um but now uh, we're just going public with this so with the release of this game i'm sure you can imagine uh that this has been planned for months so right now we're looking at the short-term, mid-term titles that need funding and publishing support to realize the potential. I think long-term, from my perspective, it's about forming creative partnerships with studios. It's about bringing original projects to fruition and something that we're keen to invest on and willing to put the time and resources into. So he goes on a little bit, whatever, but you get the gist of the story. And and the thing I think is really interesting here is that, you know, after MGS5, Metal Gear Solid 5 in 2015, a lot of people thought, you know, Konami's just done with video games. Like, fuck Konami. A lot of people were super pissed at Konami because they're kind of falling out with Hideo Kojima and uh, just all of that mess. And um, so, yeah, they kind of laid low. They did that Metal Gear Survive game a few years, like a year or two later, um, that people absolutely just shat on. I don't know that it's a bad game per se, but it's uh, people felt like it was really disrespectful to kind of come out with that shortly after the falling out with Kojima to just kind of bastardize that franchise and make a multiplayer game out of it. But 
they really just don't do much these days. And so it's crazy to see Konami kind of trying to make a comeback, but in this way. So for context, you got to keep in mind, Konami is one of those Japanese companies that, you know, in the West, we only know them for their work in the video games industry. And, you know, obviously they're, they're an indelible part of the games industry going back to the days of the NES and the arcades and everything. But, you know, fast forward to today and they don't really do much, but in Japan, you know, they're a very lucrative company. That's very multifaceted, which is a, common thing you see with Japanese companies where they don't really stick to one industry and what I mean by that is like Konami is a company that has like fitness clubs in Japan and they have like their own bottled water brand and stuff like really obscure shit you know it's like it would be like you know it's one thing that like Elon Musk has a company that does like space exploration and a company that does like cars like you can kind of draw the connection between like engines and machines and transportation and things that go you know you can you can kind of correlate those two things but this is this would be like if Elon Musk had two companies and like one of them is like creates cars and one of them is like, uh, I just makes adhesive strips like three M or something like that, you know? And like, he has a third company that's, uh, I don't know, makes like adult magazines or some shit. Like Konami's weird. They, they, they have their hands in a lot of weird markets. And of course the most lucrative thing these, these days is their pachinko machines, which is like a, it's like a gambling slot machine type of thing in Japan. That's really popular. And they, and they use a lot of their video game IPs on these pachinko machines. Cause there's like kind of video gamey aspects to them. Um, but yeah, in the traditional video game publisher sense, we just really haven't seen Konami around in years. So it's interesting to see them make this kind of effort. First of all, it seems like they're really going after the, uh, the Western market, which is interesting because, you know, they're talking about making Western games for a Western audience, but kind of ignore the Japanese side. You know, they kind of, he, he alludes as if like, he says, everyone knows about our publishers and our developers here in Japan, but it's like, sure, we know of them, but they haven't been doing shit for years. Like, what do you mean? So you're going to invest in these new studios and this new publishing arm that makes games for like the European and North American market. Meanwhile, you have your, uh, you have your um, your Japanese team that like just doesn't do shit these days, and like you have no update as to what they're working on. So I think this is a little frustrating for people, especially because people are really interested, especially with franchises like Castlevania, to see like what the hell Konami's gonna do with them. Yet they're over here like, yeah, we're working on indie games with some European and North American devs. And it's like, oh, okay. And I see this as just kind of an interesting thing where like they don't want to invest too much money into gaming right now. I guess what they're trying to do is find some. Maybe they're fishing with these indie devs because they're trying to look for some new talent. They're trying to find their new poster child, their next Hideo Kojima, perhaps. I don't, I don't know. But when you're a company like Hideo, uh, or when you're a company like Konami, you might be in a situation where it's like time to restructure and time to change change your image. You know, if you can get people, if they can find a smash hit game that's very unrelated to the Japanese market and unrelated to Metal Gear Solid they might be able to kind of rebuild their brand and their goodwill with the Western audience. Cause keep in mind the Western audience kind of hates Konami these days, right? Everyone just constantly shits on them. Gamers constantly shit on them because the falling out with uh, Hideo Kojima and the kind of bastardization of the Metal Gear Solid franchise. So it's, it's quite possible that Konami is saying, Hey, let's, let's find new developers and kind of a new image and a new way to kind of repenetrate these, these Western markets and, and, um, get people inundated with games that come from us again. And so maybe that's what they're trying to do, but it, it seems like a little low effort to be just going for indies, not to say that indie games are inherently less than, than AAA games, but if you're Konami, if you have the, you know, the track record of Konami, 
you can make whatever game you want. You know, you can make whatever budget game you want, whatever level of uh, fidelity and, 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 and ambition you want. So you would think they'd be like throwing big money at a big project, but it's like they're starting small. So that's just a bit of a head scratch. It's like you guys have been kind of stepped back and reserved from the games industry for a while. And now you're coming back in in a kind of obtuse uh, backwards way. So this is all just very interesting to me. And I think this has a lot to do with trying to find new talent. I think Konami has found out that a lot of their talent has left. Kojima brought a lot of his talent with him when he left to form Kojima Productions. And maybe they are finding themselves in a position where like they just aren't confident that they have the development talent to make, you know, a new great Castlevania game or anything like that. And that they're having a hard time, you know, kind of rebuilding their brand with the Western market. So maybe this is all an elaborate plan to kind of reacclimate back into this market with some smaller budget smaller scale games and kind of see if they can find something that sticks and use that as a building point to rebuild themselves as, you know, with new students, studios with newer talent, uh, with a new poster child or a new franchise or something that can kind of put them back on the map and, and soft reboot the Konami brand, so to speak as a, as a publishing arm here in the West. So that's my two cents, but this is just a really interesting story in general, because I mean, the, these are the, and these are the guys who from some like behind some of the most profound, uh, you know, classic NES games, and and they've just been, you know, Metal Gear Solid, one of the most uh, profound games in the history of video games, and and now they're just working on like little indie games. So it's just like a little bit of a head scratcher. You'd think they'd want to go out with something big for their next outing, but maybe that's not the case if they don't have the resources to make that next something big. So maybe this is all a big scouting adventure to find that next something. And as we all know these days, the biggest games really do come from the Western market. And Japanese developers and publishers have been having a bit of a resurgence. We've seen this with Capcom and Square Enix where they've been putting out some pretty great stuff as of late. But for the most part, you know, the past 10 years, uh, games from Japan just haven't been what they historically were, which is unfortunate because, as we all know, uh, Japan has some of the most, you know, has contributed some of the most important aspects to gaming culture. I mean, you just look at Nintendo, and that's blatantly obvious. So, But that's it for now. I don't really know what else to extract from that story, and we will wrap up here with a, a, little, uh, a little one about a canceled Avengers game. So, back in 2011, THQ Studio Australia. Back in 2011, THQ Studio Australia and Blue Tongue Entertainment were working on an Avengers game uh, before that it was ultimately canceled after THQ faced serious financial trouble went away for a while and eventually got kind of brought back into the fold as THQ Nordic, as we know them these days. Uh, eventually, some concept f- footage surfaced around 2014-2015, uh, but this week, 10 new minutes of test footage appeared online uh, when Andrew Borman uploaded uh, old hard drive footage to YouTube. The game's working title was Avengers Assemble and was said to be a uh, co-op game that would coincide with the release of the first Avengers movie. The story was inspired by the Secret Invasion comics uh, comic story arc, uh, and too bad it never happened because if you look at it, it's like a first-person co-op Avengers brawler level-based game, and it looks a little bit like a L- Avengers version of Left 4 Dead. So really unfortunate it didn't happen, but I highly recommend you check out um, these, this 10 minutes of gameplay. It was really fun to watch. It's just, uh, in my opinion, it actually kind of looks better than the um, than the Avengers game we're actually getting imminently, which is Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix's new Marvel's Avenger coming out. Marvel's Avengers uh, coming out in September. Um, so not not to throw shade at that game, but this this game actually looks a little more like something I would have wanted in an Avengers game. It looks very 2011. It looks like it was trying to jump on some of the bandwagon bandwagony stuff of what was happening back then, where it was a lot of uh, multiplayer focused stuff and and 
four-player co-op and things like that, but it looks a lot of fun. It looks like, you know, you pick a level, you pick a character, you can be Iron Man, you can be Hulk, you can be Captain America or, or uh, Thor, and it's uh, first-person, like, brawly, um, just horde-based enemy action, fun, dumb fun. It looks very Left 4 Dead, so it's uh, it's really unfortunate this game never came to be. And uh, maybe maybe we'll see some influences of, of it in Crystal Dynamics Avengers game, but unfortunately that's it for that game. That game is no more, but do be sure to look out uh, for that footage if you want to see what could have been. And that's going to do it for all of our news stories for the week. Uh, we do have our quick little uh, stories impor- important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. Uh, we have a handful of them, so we'll blast those real quick. We've got the recently released Minecraft Dungeons is already receiving its first piece of DLC. Jungle Awakens is coming in July and will feature three new missions. The second DLC, Creeper Winter, will be out later in 2020. Uh, next, we've got five new games are coming to Project X Cloud Preview, and, and by are coming, I mean are out now. The five new games are Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Batman Arkham Knight, Mortal Kombat X, Lego Batman 3 Beyond Gotham, and Pillars of Eternity. Our next one here is that due, out, due to all of what's going on in the real world, everything we talked about at the top of the show, developer CD Projekt Red have made the decision to delay their Night City Wire event that is now going to take place on June 25th. That Night City Wire event was their kind of digital stream reveal event of all the information about Cyberpunk 2077 before the game hits uh, hits shelves this September. So, um, uh, unfortunately, you know, we're not going to see that too soon, but totally understandable delay, and uh, we'll learn more about that later in the month. So, we've waited all this time. It's really not that big a deal. We can wait a little longer. Uh, keeping with the delays uh, for the same reasons as noted above, uh, the Forza Series 23 update and its accompanying and its accompanying an accompanying sorry live stream have been delayed to an unknown date. So, if you're looking forward to that new Forza Horizon 4 info, um, expect to hear probably in the next few weeks or so uh, more about that. And then uh, one more delay um, due to the same reasons. We've got Call of Duty Modern Warfare Warzone mode and Call of Duty Mobile Season 7. We're supposed to receive a big update this week uh, that has since been pushed back to an unspecified later date. So again, I assume you know it's a play-by-ear thing, but in the coming weeks we should hear more about that. Now, one thing that hasn't been delayed, uh, Bungie um, has, has teased that a Destiny 2 update regarding the game's next expansion. The reveal has been planned to take place on June 9th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and it appears that Bungie is moving along, you know, despite everyone else's delays. So um, it looks like that will still be happening in the coming days. So look forward to that if you're a big Destiny fan. And then our very final one, the most important one, the most important news of all week, uh, not really, but exciting to me nonetheless, is that we're going to go out on a good note here. We're just going to try to say something positive. This summer, fans of the incredible R.L. Stein uh, kids horror franchise, Goosebumps, can look forward to the release of Goosebumps Dead of Night, a new first-person survival horror game coming from coming to Xbox One and other platforms in the coming months. Oh yeah, and Jack Black will be reprising his role as R.L. Stein in the game. So this is probably the game of the year uh, without really thinking much about it. Um, I'm actually genuinely interested in this game, so I, I don't mean that facetiously when I say like this is pretty exciting to me, but um, definitely going to check that out um, to hell and back when it comes out, yo. Uh, and then, of course, we've got some new games coming out this week, so we'll jump through those real quick. We've got 10 new releases this week, and as always, we're not going to judge, we're not going to read the name of the game in the description. I'm just going to tell you the name of the game, the release date, and make an assertion about what the game is based on the sole uh, picture or screenshot provided via Xbox Wire. So our new, our, our first game here, 
Our first of ten is Strawberry Vinegar, which is a game about eating Japanese food. There are four plates, uh, or I should say three plates in a bowl, of various Japanese dishes, all of varying uh, uh, ingredients, and they look delicious, and it looks like uh, this is a game where you eat food. So this is the most... Uh, delicious Japanese game I've ever seen, and I will probably be playing it for hours on ends. And it comes out, it's it's out now, actually. So if life has got you stressed, if you feel like you need to escape for a minute and just um, enjoy something a little more, uh, uh, I don't know, something a little more assuring in the future, something that's just going to make you feel like just for a moment everything's going to be okay. Um, I think this game about eating delicious Japanese food is is excellent. I see a bowl of rice. I see some uh, Japanese cucumbers. I see a parfait. I see some uh, shrimp tempura. And then I see something in the background. I don't know what that is. It looks like some beef dish, but it looks it looks wonderful. Um, and then our next game here is uh, Depth of Extinction, which is basically Ghostbusters, but uh, for the Game Boy Advance, apparently. And so this is a cool game. If you if you like uh, 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 B-tier Ghostbusters games, if you like, well, I guess Ghostbusters are already kind of like a B-tier whatever. If you like uh, C-tier Ghostbusters games, then oh boy, we got one for you. Um, so yeah, this is a game where you go down to basements uh, with a Ghostbusters gun and you, you electrocute, uh, it looks like utility men, so... Looks like you're literally just finding handy men who are who are working on um, things that are out of service, uh, utilities, uh, air conditioned units, perhaps generators, um, that sort of thing, electrical boxes, and you are just shocking the the hell out of them. So if you if you have something against uh, repairmen, now is your chance to uh, take take 80s nostalgia weaponry and uh, and destroy. Uh, that is Xbox One X enhanced, so it's, I assume once you once you put it through the Xbox One X filters, it's probably going to look a lot more like a next-gen game. And then our next one here is Awesome P2. And I don't mean P as like the letter P, and I don't mean P as like P-E-E stuff coming out of your wiener. I mean like P, like P-E-A, like the things you're supposed to eat, but not if they touch your mashed potatoes. This is Awesome P2. I didn't even know there was an Awesome P1. So this game looks like it's on a, like it's on a, uh, like a, uh, RC helicopter TV, so it looks like all all old school, all retro, uh, and you play as this P that looks like a glob, and I, I don't even know what to say about this. It actually looks like a Kirby game, but um, and it's it's out now. Tour de France 2020 is our next game, which is a game about men who bicycle. So this game really pisses me off because have you ever been like driving around like on a road, like a main road? And there's like a, a group of people on their bicycle just like riding out. And you're just like, why are you not doing this in your neighborhood? Or why are you not doing this somewhere where there's a sidewalk or somewhere where it's like a designated bike lane? Like, why do you have to go out on a main road um, and just take your bike out and ride in the middle of the road? And I assume that this is a game where you get to fulfill your your vision of being that asshole who takes their bicycle out on the main road and says, I know there are bike lanes. I know there are uh, uh, places designated for people to ride their bikes, but I want you all to know how good of a biker I am. And so you and your friends just basically block the main roads and uh, say fuck you to all the cars on the road. So that's what that game is all about. And then we got uh, Tichio in the castle of Lucio. This is a uh, little like Dr. Mario looking Steven Universe game with some like uh, cancer ridden uh, mushroom head guy. So this game makes me extraordinarily uncomfortable. I don't feel, I don't really want to talk about it. You got the dog from Mega Man. You got this mushroom guy who literally looks like he's dying. And then you got this Steven Universe kid and they're jumping around collecting keys 
Uh, and you wonder why I shit on indie games. But that is Xbox One X Enhanced, so it probably looks pretty good once you put it through the One X filter. And then we got Out, Out Buddies DX. This is... Um, this is OutBuddies, um, and this is not like the deluxe version. It's DX, like the emoji, like the face that's like, ah, making the face. So it's just OutBuddies, and then like that emoji. It's not really the DX version. So um, this is a really great uh, game for people who like to swim underwater and experience nonlinear uh, Metroidvania games and yada, 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 and somehow it's original, and it's unlike anything you've ever played before. But our next game here is called The Sims 4 Eco Lifestyle. So this is a, if you're an environmentalist, if you are someone who thinks they're going to protect the environment, if you're someone who thinks that making the purchase of a hybrid car is making more, uh, is making it justifiable that you drink water bottles uh, out of plastic and then don't recycle them, then this is the game for you. It's an expansion pack. So in and of itself, it's just kind of inherently um, it can, um, environmentally unfriendly because you have to have more to to use an expansion. So you, it's saying you have to have Sims 4, and on top of that, you have to buy Sims 4 Eco Lifestyle, which is just more shit. That's more plastic on the disc. That's more cardboard on the box. That's more whatever it is you're buying, uh, you know. So in, in its attempt to make a more ecological Sims game, they've actually destroyed the environment further. And that is, of course, unless it is a digital-only game, in which case the Sims are now heroes, and they might as well retitle the franchise The Heroes 4, um, where you uh, save the universe and become part of the Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe. And then our next game here is called We Were Here Together, which is a... Uh, I actually really want to play this game, but it's basically a game where you have a walkie-talkie and you're staring into the snowy sky and you're basically, I, I guess, maybe your your boo is on the other end from home and she say, she's saying, oh, what are, you, what are you looking at? And you're like, oh, I'm looking at the night sky and it's snowy out, it's beautiful. And, and there's a beacon and she goes, you idiot, that, that isn't a firework, that isn't a beacon in the sky, that isn't a light, that isn't the northern lights, that isn't, that's a that's a nuclear missile, you fucking idiot, go back inside. And then and then you get blown up to death and that's the game, but it's a... Uh... It's a beautiful five-second tech demo before you die. And then our next game here is called Rigid Force Redux, uh, which is one of those shooty spaceship games. Uh, it looks pretty good. Yeah, got Cyber Protocol, which is a nice uh, uh, arcade Dig Dug-looking game. Uh, Xbox One X Enhanced, though, so I assume it feels just like the arcade when you play it. That's going to do it for all of our new games this week. As a reminder, Games of Gold for the month of June, you've got Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, all month available. you got Coffee Talk from June 16th to July 15th. And then for our 360 and uh, Xbox One or OG games, you got Destroy All Humans, um, which is available until June 15th. And then you got Sign Mora, which is available for the latter half of the month from the 16th to the 30th. And that is going to do it. For all of our news this week, I told you, I told you with a, with a super, a super slow, super short news week, I'll still find a way to make this podcast stretch out into the hour and a half mark. If you, uh, if you felt, uh, like I, I talked about unrelated information too much, I, I do apologize for the top of the show. I definitely appreciate you. If you, uh, if you somehow stuck through to the end of this week's episode, I really appreciate you giving me a platform to state my stupidity and my ignorance and just say my two cents about all that's happening in the world. If this is a week where, you know, the events of what's going on in the world have been too much for you and you just need to take a week off and not listen to this week's show and maybe just uh, stay stay away from the video games news because you want to focus on what really matters this week, I totally respect and understand that decision. So no hard feelings whatsoever, but... 
if you want to reach out and, and feel like you can be a part of something, I really think it's a great idea to do some research, do some digging, find an organization that you believe in where you feel like the funds aren't misappropriated and, and maybe, maybe, maybe give some money. If money's tight and money's not an option for you, then I highly recommend you just, I, I don't know. I think, honestly, I think just, just trying to make yourself as aware of what all's going on and try to be as objective and just try to take it in as a, as a citizen of, of the world and just try to be understanding to the perspectives being shared, I think is really important. Um, I don't really like the idea that like, if you're not out there on the social media saying something, you're part of the problem and you're a piece of shit. I think that's, that's bullying. And that's a little, uh, it's a little unfair to expect everyone to have something constructive to say. I think when everyone's just saying the same thing, it comes off as noise and, it's it's important that people speak when they when they need to speak and not just speak to speak. So if you if you feel like you have nothing really to add to that conversation, I I relate and I understand and uh, I think I think just making sure that you stay informed and and you stay aware of what's happening is really important alone. Just because making the change and and making yourself as aware as possible in and of itself is a change because everyone. You know, yeah, sure, we all have the responsibility to make our fellow man aware of what's going on and, and what the problems are facing, you know, our communities in, in this country. Um, but also, we also have a responsibility to ourselves to make ourselves as educated as possible. So, like I said, anyone out there right now, um, if you are involved in any of these protests, please stay safe out there. Uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, hopefully we start to see some change and hopefully people continue to uh, keep their sanity as we go through these crazy, crazy times with the compounding of, of what's happening this past week and, and the ongoing COVID stuff. It's just been a crazy, crazy year. I'm sure everyone in the world has said it by now, but, uh, it's 2020 has already proven itself to be crazy. And these are, you know, these are issues that aren't really just affecting one corner of the world. These are, these have been things that have just been affecting the entire world. So we really are all in this together. I know right now we're talking kind of specifically about uh, about issues that exist in the United States but even to all of our international listeners here on Xbox on these are these are far reaching issues that affect absolutely everyone on this on this planet and so it's uh we are absolutely all in this together and we owe it to ourselves and to our fellow our fellow man to uh try our best to learn and and remain open minded and and uh malleable we all need to be we all need to just be malleable. I think as, as humans, we need to be willing to take in new information and have our perspectives altered and change and to say things if we're wrong and be willing to admit when we're wrong and be willing to change our opinions to be right. And, and most importantly, just, just not thinking that you always have the answer. Cause a lot of times the answer, the answers lie in someone else, even if they don't even know they have the answers and, and all, all it takes is for you to have an open mind and, and, and actively listening ear. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of rambling, which means it's definitely a good time to turn off the mic, but thank you so much as always for listening to uh, Xbox on. And I would like to say a very happy birthday to Mr. Eric, who does the music for Xbox on today at the time of this recording is Mr. Eric's birthday. So, so uh, go ahead and do with that what you will. It's a kind of a shitty week to be having a birthday. I'm sorry, man. But here you go. Play us out and we'll see you next week for some more hopefully uplifting and exciting Xbox news. Thank you so much. Have a great week, guys.
Big Boss.